Don't forget to rate us on iTunes so we can continue to bring great content to you. Good evening. Our webinar this evening is ADHD in the Classroom, Management Strategies and Student Supports with Sandra Reif. She's the author of How to Reach and Teach Children with ADD, ADHD. Ask the Expert is a monthly series presented by the National Resource Center on ADHD, which gives the general public access to top clinicians, researchers, and other professionals. The National Resource Center is a partnership between CHAD and the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention and serves as the national clearinghouse for the latest evidence-based information on ADHD. It is a privilege to introduce today's expert, Sandra Reif. Sandra Reif has been a best-selling author, consultant, and speaker on practical and effective strategies for students with ADHD and learning disabilities for over 20 years. Again, we are very pleased to introduce Sandra Reif and have Ms. Reif with us tonight. If you're ready, why please begin. Thank you. I'm delighted to be here. Thank you so much for having me. And I appreciate all of you who are joining us on this webinar for taking your time after school today and this evening to do so. Before I begin with um, talking about any strategies, I would like to share what I think are the most important things that teachers, educators need to understand about students with ADHD. Uh, next slide, please, first slide. That what we now know is that ADHD, it's not just a disorder of the three core symptoms that we're all familiar with, of inattention, impulsivity, and sometimes hyperactivity, but we now know that ADHD it's a disorder in the development of the child's executive functions, which are the management functions of the brain. It's all those self-directed actions that we use to manage our thinking and behavior and that enable us to accomplish our goals and do problem solving. And they involve a whole range of central control processes and self-regulatory skills. Next slide, please. So some of those, um, some of the executive functions, the key ones, involve behavioral inhibition, which is the ability to stop, think, put on the brakes before responding or before acting. It's the ability for um, resisting distractions, for um, delaying gratification. It's everything related to impulse control. Working memory is the ability to hold information in your head long enough to do something with it. So it's the forgetfulness that we see in our students where we might you know, give them directions or assign them something, and by the time they go back to their desks, they don't, they don't do so, and we may assume that they're being noncompliant or oppositional or just don't care about, you know, completing their work, when in fact they probably forgot what they're supposed to do by the time they get back to their desks. So their ability to hold information briefly while simultaneously using it is what working memory is, and it affects every academic skill, all kinds of learning skills such as in reading, if you have poor working memory, the forgetfulness of you know, remembering what we've just read, often by the time they get to the end of the page, or certainly by the end of the chapter, if they're not doing something actively with what they're reading, it's out of mind. And um, so being able to process it well and comprehend well is very much affected if you have poor working memory skills. With mathematical problem solving, Think of the memory load of what you have to keep in your mind as you're working through solving a problem. Remembering the process, where, what steps to follow, pulling up from recall your, the, 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 the math facts that they need to use. So 
working memory affects math computation and it certainly affects math problem solving. And written language has a very heavy demand on working memory. Thinking through what it is I'm going to write, who's my audience, what, what's the genre, what's the structure of this writing genre that I need to follow, what do I want to say, what words do I want to use, and just all of that, holding that in mind by the time they get it down on paper, it, it, it very much affects their functioning. Anything related to organization, planning, prioritizing, is a, it, those are key executive function skills that are very much impaired many times in kids with ADHD, as is time awareness and time management. Just being able to, you know, deadlines and due dates are typically very difficult for kids to follow. They're often oblivious to them. They, many of your students with executive function problems with ADHD, they, they just significantly underestimate the amount of time things take to complete. So you'll have a lot of missing assignments, late assignments, chronic tardiness. Those are all executive function skill weaknesses. Arousal and activation is the ability to initiate a task. It's the ability to, to um, start something which is not intrinsically motivating and then to be able to, on the next slide please, next, to be able to sustain that level of focus, alertness, and effort to get through those types of tasks, which, are, which is a lot of the schoolwork that we're assigning students. Anything related to goal-directed persistence, perseverance, keeping their eye on the goal and, and just keep plugging away till completion. Self-regulation of uh, emotional control and motivation level and self-regulation of attention level and um, activity level, but particularly like with emotional level, being able to manage frustrations, deal with anger, deal with um, you know, some of those strong feelings that the kids have, they often overreact. We will see that frequently in our kids, just having a difficulty with, with overreaction to things that take place in their life on a day-to-day -day basis, particularly at school with fr frustrating tasks. The ability to shift, be flexible, that's cognitive flexibility, being able to shift ideas and change your approach and look at things in different ways and different perspectives, and also with regard to like transitions. We know that transition times of the day are very typically problematic areas for kids with ADHD, stopping, disengaging what they're doing to move on to something else. Again, those are executive skills which tend to be weak. And then metacognition, being able to be thinking about our own learning, about thinking about our own thinking, thinking about our own behavior, self-evaluating how are we doing, and then making adjustments as needed. So those are all executive skills. Next slide, please. That in students with ADHD, we now know that they are delayed approximately 30% developmentally in their self-management skills, in their executive functions, in their ability for self-regulation. So that's very, very important for educators to keep in mind that even though they may be of a certain age and grade, they are 30% delayed. So if you are working with 10-year-olds, you have to think of them in those particular skills as more like a 7-year-old. And if they are a 15-year-old, you have to think of them more as they have those self-regulation, executive function skills of more a 10 or 11-year-old. And just because they should be able to do something that you would think is grade level expectations, you have to think of, you have to keep in mind where they are developmentally that they will need the same kinds of supports 
that you would be more um, inclined to give to children of a younger age. So I think that's key information to keep in mind and to be aware of for teachers. Next slide, please. So some of the key factors for the success of students with ADHD, it's to be in a classroom that is designed for problem prevention, that is designed to be well-structured, well-organized. It's everything that we are doing as teachers to create that positive, respectful, well-structured environment. And that includes the, the, the strong, clear teaching of rules and procedures, and then the practice, 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 rehearsal, 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 until all of those, those, until the rules and the procedures become automatic routines. So that is very key. Also, the, the students with ADHD, to keep in mind that these are the students that need a very high rate and frequency of positive reinforcement and feedback much more so than you would need to give to other students in your class, most likely. The, the next bullet on engaging instruction and motivating lessons, even students with very severe symptoms of ADHD, Warren, will tend to function well in classrooms that are very engaging, where instruction does involve active learning, high response opportunities, and it's it's very well planned with motivating lessons. Next being the explicit teaching of executive function skills, that these are skills that can be developed with practice, practice, practice. So it's important for teachers and to, to build in training of students, very clear teaching of organization skills, time management skills, how to plan and giving them the tools to do so to provide lots of opportunities and practice all the teaching structures we would use with modeling and guided practice for teaching goal setting, for teaching self-evaluation, all those metacognitive skills. And then providing in the next bullet the scaffolding, the supports and the accommodations to help kids in whatever their areas of need may be. And the next bullet is, is absolutely key. The kids are, students with ADHD are going to be successful with teachers who have the flexibility and are, have the willingness to put forth that extra time and effort to enable their success. And we know it takes lots of effort, lots of extra time and effort for many students with ADHD. And it means going back to the drawing board when plan A doesn't work to go back to plan B, to try plan C, to try, to try plan D. And, um, and that takes the, the positive mindset from teachers to be willing to do so. And then, of course, that bottom bullet is absolutely key. The success of our students with ADHD requires very intensive communication between home and school, building a partnership with parents, lots of collaboration among other, between, your, between ourselves and the other teachers in our team and support staff and other just school, the school professionals, as well as any mental health professionals or medical professionals or other people involved in the intervention, uh, which is for the success of, of these students. So it's full teamwork is what's going to make the difference. Next slide, please. So I, it's important to keep in mind some other points that students with ADHD, they're unable to, to sustain the effort for long-term goals. And how that might look in the classroom, for example, classroom teachers 
will typically have some kind of incentive system, or it's very common to have some kind of a reinforcement system where kids who have a good week of performance have some kind of a reward or extra privilege on Friday. But for your students with ADHD, they're not going to make it until Friday. They aren't going to make it until Wednesday. For them to be able to participate and have the success of being, being able to receive the reward, and to, they need to have their Monday broken into small, short intervals of the day with little mini goals throughout the day that if they were successful in completing those mini goals, then that was a good day. Monday was a good day and being rewarded for that. And the same with Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, and so forth. So it's just keeping in mind that any, any of your long-term systems without short-term interim mini goals with rewards will not be successful for students with ADHD. It takes these kids much longer to produce work, to complete their classwork, to complete their homework. It often takes two to three to four times longer for them to do so. And we need to be cognizant of that and, and willing to make adjustments, looking at how can we modify the work, how can we shorten things, how can kids pr produce things um, or show, show us what they know in ways that don't require as much production. Uh, and, and demands, and, when, and to be responsive to parent feedback when they're saying that homework is taking hours and hours in our home and it's a source of tears and battles and so much stress, to be willing to make those adjustments and, and realize that that is a fact and it is true, that that is what's happening in their homes. Kids with ADHD have a very high rate of coexisting conditions. That's very important for teachers to understand that we're typically in at least 80% of of kids with ADHD have something else going on. It's not clean and squeaky ADHD, it's ADHD plus. And that's what complicates the diagnosis and complicates the interventions and the treatment we put into place because it's often ADHD plus learning disabilities, very high rate of, co of learn coexisting learning disabilities. ADHD and oppositional defiant disorder, ADHD plus anxiety disorder or depression or speech and language problems or sleep disorders. Many, many things coexist with ADHD. And to make, we have to be aware of that because in trying to get the kids the best help they can, the best intervention, we need to be able to address everything that's going on with them. And, and, and ADHD is often not just, it's typically not the only thing that's going on. And then to just be aware that it, even if these kids are, are highly gifted and, and there's going to still be an academic impact because executive skill deficits are going to affect them academically as well. Next slide, please. So briefly into some of the strategies, and then of course we'll talk much more about strategies during the Q&A, but um, some of the attention strategies, activation strategies with directions to keep in mind they have to be brief and they need to be repeated before kids begin the task. So. My preference, in, in, and I think in terms of instructional format, is when kids, after you give the instructions, kids turn to their partners, turn to their neighbors, and have to share with their neighbors what it is that they need to do. That way the whole class is involved with repeating it before they begin. Frequent check-ins and feedback, these kids need constant check-ins to make sure they're on task and on target. Accessible materials, so time isn't wasted pulling them off task, looking for materials, getting up out of their seats. So. Um, designing, organizing in a way that their materials are, are right there. 
any instructional formats where it's you are teaching for a short segment of time and then the students have to do something with it and they get to engage. I, again, I am a big fan. I think the best instructional format for most kids, but particularly for students with ADHD, are pair shares where they are, after you instruct, they turn to their partner and they teach, express it, uh, whatever it is, that they reteach it, they explain, they summarize, they, they share an idea, they predict, whatever it may be, but it's short segments and then they do something with it, short segments and then they do something with it. Color highlighting key parts of a task. Um, think of uh, just strategically using color when you are going through any presentation of material. Um, so using you know color highlighting um, keywords in instructions, color highlighting steps in a process, color highlighting um, all kinds of materials so that they can locate them easier. And then because Partner work is so important, being able to pair share, being able to assign well-focused partners is also key, supportive partners. Next slide, please. Keeping them with any independent work they're doing, desk work that they're doing, a task card, a checklist, something to guide them, something to mark off after they've completed something. Beat the clock challenges and incentives, for example, um, when they have independent work, you know, seat work to do, if it's, 20, if it's a 20 minute block of time to set the clock and maybe in 10 minute intervals or 5 minute intervals and set with little mini goals, let's see if you can get the next three problems done by the time the timer goes off, let's see if you could read or, or write two sentences by the time the timer goes off and just set those kinds of um, little mini goals. If they, if they meet the goal, then they get like a, a point or a little mark on their chart or something. Just getting them started is key. With you know, many times our kids like they'll they'll be on a roll and they can move on their own once they get somebody getting them started. So if you're able to break away, get to that student and just get them writing the first sentence or two if it's a written language assignment. Get them started with the problem solving. Get them started with the reading, the first paragraph or two. Then then often they're they're able to continue on their own. And then breaking tasks down into smaller segments, checking them after you know, completion of those small parts to make sure they're on track, and then and also if you're able to give a little break afterwards as well. Next slide, please. Thank you. So now on to environmental supports or environmental engineering to prevent problems. Pre preferential seating is key for students with ADHD. Obviously trying to buffer them from any distractions, but more important is, is, or as important as that is where you as the teacher are positioning that student in a, in a way that you're able to quickly reach them to, make, maintain, to obtain their eye contact and then be able to provide the cues and the prompts that they need to redirect their behavior or to help them stay on task and then giving them alternatives to where and how they work. So as you see in those pictures, I, I love the round therapeutic balls as options. As you can also see in the, the next picture where there's that little seat cushion that has wiggle room in it. A any of those kinds of tools can be helpful. Um, but also just letting them take their paper, attach it to a clipboard and go sit on the floor or, or move to another location to work. Students who are, are students with ADHD who can't sit well and 
hard chairs, letting them stand while they're working. So being able to um, provide them perhaps in the back of the room or to the periphery, to the side of the room where they're not blocking anybody, some standing workstations like a high podium or a tall table where they can do their work, and giving them options like they, they're assigned two desks or two areas that they can move between or like a little partitioned area, like again, like you see in the picture, that would be considered like little office area for, again, for blocking distractions. But being able to provide adaptive supports, such as that little seat cushion, environmental supports like the auditory cues that we're giving them to get their attention, whether we're using chimes or harmonica or a clap pattern to get their attention, or um, some kind of a, a, a call response technique like the, if those of you who are familiar with whole brain teaching, they use the, the, the class yes response where the teacher says class and the students respond right away yes and then classity class, yesity yes or any variation. But those kinds of auditory cues. Next slide please. And then there are the visual, the, the nonverbal cues and supports such as um, as you see with the little picture card with the three behaviors there of raising their hand, staying seated, and keeping on task, a little picture card that can be attached to their desk as the teacher is walking around the room can tap on the, the picture as a, as a little prompt or redirection. Um, that's a good visual support. Visual supports like timers, visual timers, like the digital um, countdown timer you see that is online. There are all kinds of online timers that can be projected, or the timetimer.com and some of those that you see in the picture um, below that are visual timers, or the, uh, the charts that indicate what the noise level is in the room or what the movement level is permissible at different times of the day, or just walking around the room with a post-it note that you could place on their desk. Those are all examples of the visual supports and nonverbal cues. Next slide, please. And any of the immediate feedback and reinforcement, um, the Class Dojo, if you're not familiar with that website, or that, please check that one out. It's a great free electronic system for providing feedback points to kids for specific behaviors. It's wonderful, wonderful, and all I can ask you to do is to take a look at that later. The others, um, movement breaks, particularly if it's during the lesson, throughout the lesson when there's, when there's active, cue cards on the desk, or you know, private signals private hand signals or gestures that you work out with the students, providing them with warnings for transitions because um, any transitional support to changes of activity is important. The one about point of performance, any cues and reinforcement where in, in environments outside of the classroom as well. Kids with ADHD have the most difficulty where it's unstructured environments, so cafeteria, the bus, playground, um, gymnasium, those are areas where they're going to have trouble. So if you're able to cue them, provide the rules, the, the cues in that environment, that's very helpful. And then some kind of a designated calming spot to help kids when they're getting agitated, where they're about to lose it, where you could let them go to a certain area of the room. I'd like to talk about that a little bit more later if I can, but some people call it sending it to Hawaii. They may call it an area like that Tahiti or a chill out zone. They might call it they're going to Alaska and just have it equipped with sensory toys like something calming or calming music they can listen to or something distracting that they could look at to just calm them down within the classroom. Next slide, please. Uh, 
the better your group incentive system works for you, the less teachers will need to do the more individualized behavioral interventions and programs for students. So even though um, so at this time of the year you may feel like your like your class system may need a little readjustment, there are so many different systems to use. And um, just for example, my, my favorite, well, well, earning tokens like points, tickets, class money, placing something in a jar like beads, popcorn kernels, marbles, that when you reach a certain point or whatever, those are redeemed for class rewards. Or chart moves, whether it's a, a number line chart or a dot-to-dot -dot chart, or like you see in the picture, those are, there's a little object that's Velcroed. You can move it around a Velcroed chart for when the class as a whole, when you want to re reinforce the class as a whole for proactive positive behaviors. Or a bingo grid or some kind of a lottery grid, bingo grid, or a 100 chart that um, gets, when, when they're performing the behaviors that you want to see and you want to reward, they get to fill in a number or place a marker on the chart or fill in the coordinates and when you when they get a row across or down or diagonally, then um, the class is rewarded. Mystery motivators, uh, kids love mystery, so it could be um, an envelope with a little slip of paper, different slips of paper. They have um, various rewards that they get to pick an envelope if they've reached the goal. Or it could be a, um, a flip a card where you're writing in a high location that they can't reach. Uh, what the reward is going to be, like extra recess or popcorn party or something like that, and it's covered up or a card is facing backwards where they don't see what's written on each letter of the card. And then as you want to reinforce them, the, the cover is removed. They get to flip. And when the whole thing is spelled out, what the reward is, they earned it. So the kid, there's all kinds of ways to do that. And then my point, your point kind of techniques are great. When you have a T-chart of some type that where it's either smiley face, frown face, or way to go, oops, or on target, off target. And teachers will assign points throughout the day or throughout the designated time period, positively or negatively. And the whole deal is, if by the end of the time period, if there's more plus points and minus points, then they've earned some kind of a little reward. So there are all kinds of variations, and we could talk more about them later. I just want to point out before I, I we, we move on to questions in just a second. Um, can you? Next slide, please. This, this slide plus the one that follows are examples of individualized behavioral interventions that are research validated. They're called daily report cards. And they all kind of um, work this way where, um, look, where, maybe move on to, well, okay, we can look at this one. Let's look at the next one instead. Next slide, please. Okay. Whatever the behaviors are, there's a few behaviors and there's um, time periods of the day that you're monitoring those behaviors and it is predetermined with the student what the criterion is for success, how many pluses they might need, what percentage of success, what percentage of the whole card um, they must, of, of points they receive. And it's also predetermined what the reward is going to be if they've met their goal. And daily report cards also involve close homeschool collaboration where the parents receive a copy or are notified of success or not success at the end of the day on, on how they did with their daily report card. And the parents provide the reinforcement, provide the reward if they can, or if it works best that way. If it works better that the school provides the daily report, the, the daily reward for successful days, 
then the school does so. But parents are always involved, and the parents can be involved by um, by providing the reward on the weekend if they've had, let's say, three out of five good days. I'm going to skip over or just pass quickly through the next two slides. They're pretty self-explanatory on academic supports. I hope to talk about these during the Q&A. This one and the next one, please. Um, so we can talk about that later. But I just want to point out that these net, the, the following six slides, which I'm not going to go over with you now, these, these are all resources that I recommend you explore after the webinar that I think have really great information, great tools for instructional, academic, instructional and academical, academic strategies, as well as um, behavioral ones. So there are six slides that have all kinds of uh, resources that I think you'll find valuable. Huh, okay, I'm ready to take questions. Thank you. Wonderful. Well, we have questions that are ready for you now. And to our Great. participants, to our participants, you can enter questions if you haven't done so already. We are taking questions now. And our first one uh, comes to us from Tracy. And she was wondering, what type of, of accommodations help with task initiation and following through, especially for homework? What sort of things help a student get started on that task, get started on the homework, stay with the homework? Because we all know what a struggle that can be both at school and at home. Well, I think one of the best things to do is if you're able to start the child, the student on homework at school before they leave, even if they have five minutes to start what they're doing or to make sure that they know what they're supposed to do. Um, of course, so somebody checking them off to make sure they know what they're doing, making sure they have the right materials and task initiation in the classroom, again, could be uh, with a partner. It doesn't have to be the teacher, but it could be, you know, all students are working, you know, checking to make sure we're on the right page, checking to make sure we have our books open to the right to the right page, we have our materials out, and then you begin. And as the teacher's roaming around, getting them started. Um, but so, uh, but the, the beginning homework at school. I know um, if there are homework clubs or homework um, study group kind of things that are provided, that's that's a wonderful accommodation. After school sessions, a lot of teachers I know do offer those in a lot of schools. So that's definitely something to look into and, and perhaps get one started. Our next question is coming from Steve. And he was wondering, um, how much impact can classroom accommodations really have on a child's performance when the cause is ADHD, which is a neurochemical problem? This is ADHD, as we know, is neurobiological. It's brain-based. How how well, can accommodations really help when we're dealing with a brain-based disorder? Is this something that is truly beneficial in the long run? Is this something that we're trying and, and just kind of crossing our fingers? Well, accommodations can go only so far. It, the inner, it, it, it's the best we can do to try to enable their success at school. It's not a research-validated intervention for kids with ADHD. The research-validated interventions are medical treatment, and behavioral programs, behavioral intervention. Accommodations are to try to level the playing field and to try to ena enable them to do the best they can in the school setting. So um, they can only go so far, I guess, is what I want to, would be my response to that question. They're necessary, even if the student does have uh, 
medical intervention, is receiving medication, is receiving behavioral therapy, behavioral treatments, be, uh, the, the still accommodations will still be required, but it is not the primary way of, of addressing the problems that kids have when they, when they have ADHD. Thank you. I think that's a question a lot of people do have. I've just backed us up again to your last slide. One of our participants was wondering if we could show the slide again. And while I'm showing it, I also would like to let our participants know that this will be online in about two business days, and we are planning on having a copy of the slides with these recommended resources from Ms. Reef available online also. That will be at www.help for ADHD.org. Please check with us in two business days. And if you have any additional questions, you can always send us an email. We'd be happy to point you in a direction. I'm going to bring us back over to the slide. And our next question is coming from Amy. And she was wondering if you can recommend an ADHD-focused forum for teachers, a place where teachers can share ideas and support. Is there something perhaps online? Is there um, a different, are there some groups or something, some place where teachers can really share ideas that can help their students? Um, well, is there, my, one of my favorite things as far as like just getting a lot of ideas of what to do to help, I don't know if any of you are Pinterest addicts like I am, but Pinterest I think has wonderful teachers sharing all kinds of ideas. After the webinar, you might want to take a look at my Pinterest boards. If you go to Pinterest.com slash Sandra Rife, I have uh, several boards of ideas for ADHD, for organization, for reading, for all, all self-regulation strategies, and other teachers do as well. So there's a great sharing of ideas that you could just access that way. But um, there, as far as an online forum, I, if you're members of like Council for Exceptional Children or members of some of the organizations, they, 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 there are probably forums to, to use that way as well. There, even with, um, uh, if through, through Twitter, if you're in any of the, the groups like LD Online Group, Learning Disability Association, some of, some of those as well, I would imagine that Chad also has a group. I I'm just haven't accessed it myself yet, so I'm not sure. But there must be, um, I'm sure there are several kinds of chat groups and ways to share ideas. And I would certainly check through, through what's available with Chad's online information. What Chad has, and we're very proud of, we have two possibilities. For Chad members, we have our online forums. And one of those forums is dedicated to educators and education issues. So if you are a Chad member, Chad forums would be a great place for you to to look for some of that information. And also, we, we, we also have our teacher-to-teacher -teacher classroom training program for teachers. And it is developed by teachers. It is taught by te and also taught by teachers to other teachers. And we are expanding that program. If you are interested in our teacher-to-teacher -teacher program, I encourage you to give us a call or send us an email over at uh, um, over at customer service at chad.org and also you can give us a phone call over at 1-800-233-4050 and ask for our teacher to teacher coordinator. Our next question is going to come is coming from Kim 
And she was wondering, she said, you mentioned that there is a 30% developmental delay caused by ADHD. Does this mean that it may be beneficial for some students to be re retained a year in, uh, if they are struggling? So how does it help? Can it help students to be retained a year, to uh, repeat a year for that maturity, for that growth, for that educational um, assistance? That's a good question. I think it's very individual. I'd say if, for the most part, I would say that it is not the intervention of choice, even though that makes a lot of sense to developmentally give more time, but it doesn't mean that one extra year is going to catch them up in that area. So that is not the way I would go in most cases with students throughout the grades. More like with in the early childhood years, before they enter school, would be more of a time to look at our, you know, maybe with this an extra year help a little bit in developing some of those self-regulatory skills before they start school. But as far as retention, holding them back a grade, um, the 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 trauma of or the 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 repercussions or the negative effect may would probably outweigh what they may gain um, in and having the extra year in that classroom, I mean, in that, at that grade level. So I think it's very much, I, I don't want to make a blanket statement, too, because it's so individual per student, and the teachers in the school, the, the teacher, the parents, and the full team needing to look at that individual student or what are the areas of weakness and would another year help them. But I'd say overall, and the, for the most part, that is, that is not the, the, the strategy that would be the most effective, it's just it's holding them over. Well, thank you. That is a question that we do receive at the National Resource Center on ADHD. Is it beneficial for a student? I think that was a very good answer. A lot of people do wonder, and I think that's a help. Our next question is coming from Tina, and she was reading that the extra time on a test, which is very common for a 504 item, may not benefit all kids with ADHD. Is this true? So having that as an accommodation on a 504 or an IEP, extra test taking time, has that been shown to be helpful? Again, it's very individual. For most, for, for many kids it's helpful. She's absolutely right that for some, just the extra time doesn't, doesn't, um, doesn't mean more success. So I think you would have to look at the individual student and um, anything with any accommodations. It's, Will that, will that be a good one for this student? Uh, typically it helps giving them the extra time and if particularly if there was any way that they're going to go back and check their work or do more self-monitoring of their work if they do happen to finish early. So building in that extra time is typically uh, more, more helpful than not. But um, it, it does, it is going to be, each student is going to be different with that as far as their need. Thank you. Well, thank you. And as far as student needs, we have um, two questions, one from Wally and one is from Greg. And first, Greg would like to tell you he loves the noisometer, which you had on an earlier screen. He thinks that is really, really top-notch, and he was wondering, is there a source for that? Is Where did you find that? And perhaps you could suggest that? Okay. I recommend, again, when, you're, when we're done with the webinar, go to my Pinterest boards because I pulled that off of, I saved that in my Pinterest. So if you go to Pinterest.com 
slash Sandra Rife, and then I have several boards there. I think I have like around 40 of them or 50 boards in different categories. Under the one that says classroom management, if you open up that board, there are all kinds of ideas that have been shared by other teachers that have examples, visual examples. That's what I love about Pinterest, is that there are all these visual examples you could look at. So um, there are several variations of the one that you see in that, that I provided on the PowerPoint. And that's, you'll see it on that board. So go to Pinterest.com, Sandra Rice, Classroom Management, and you'll find that. Thank you. I think uh, we're gonna. I think you're gonna see a lot of people going there tonight and tomorrow, <laughs> to to look up some of those resources. Our other question I mentioned a moment ago is coming from Wally, and you were meant you were talking about different accommodations in the classroom, exercise balls and podiums and so forth. He was wondering if you would also recommend headphones for kids who are easily distracted. Has that been found to be a helpful yes, accommodation? Absolutely. Yes. Yes, it is a very good accommodation. All right, wonderful. Um, our next one is coming from also Asandra, and she was wondering, with all of these suggestions that you've offered tonight and other things that uh, parents research, how do you recommend parents communicate some of these suggestions to classroom teachers, to their child's teacher? How do parents initiate the conversation saying, hey, I think my kid would do really well with a giant blow-up ball to sit on rather than a chair? Good question. Um, it, there's, there's always that fine line about how, how parents should best approach teachers with strategies and suggestions. I think just coming in with saying that we found this to be helpful or we tried this in the home and it helps him stay, be you know, stay better focused on his homework when there's a little wiggle room. Would you be willing to try this? If, if, and if, you know, if, even if we, if we provided it or, we got, or if your school has an occupational therapist that can provide some of these tools and supports in the classroom. But I, I think just, just that kind of open conversation where you're not demanding, but you are saying what you found to be successful and to be more helpful for your child and, and would they be willing to simply, would you be willing to try this and see if it helps? Um, I, 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 I guess that's about all I can say about it. It's just kind of the finesse about how you approach them without being demanding, but being um, just offering suggestions. Finesse is uh, a great deal of it. Teachers they want their students to succeed and they want to work with parents and unfortunately again we've heard stories where the communication is broken down but we do know teachers want their students to succeed so they are interested. Right. Well our next question is coming from Nikki and she is wondering you had discussed uh, you had mentioned mini breaks earlier and, and this is something that we hear very often taking a break in work and she was wondering is it really better to allow mini breaks during assignments or to give them longer breaks after the assignment is done to her it seems that getting back on track after a break takes takes longer makes the assignment take longer and might be more difficult um, she said that she tends to not allow mini breaks because of the difficulty with reinitiation that's a very good point. And I, many breaks that I find to be most effective are standing at their desk and stretching um, or just, just doing something very, very quickly. When I say mini break, I mean 20 seconds, 30 seconds of, of movement or just, and then getting back to work. And then having the longer break afterwards does make more sense. So um, it, it, that's a very good point when you're 
pulled off task, it's harder to get back if, you're, if it extends for any length of time. But something that's very quick, even if it's very quick, um, full class brain break, we're stand up, we're doing 10 jumping jacks, or we're doing a yoga pose, or we're doing whatever the little activity is, but it's something very, very quick. Even um, push-ups on your chair, where you're seated push-ups, where you're pushing down on the arms of your chair or the seat of your chair, and you're lifting your body up, doing 10 of those, and then getting back to work. But just, a, just very, very short mini things in between tasks, and then longer um, after they completed is often helpful. But then again, it just depends individually on the child. Some will need longer breaks in between. So it's going to, you know, it, it'll, it'll, it will vary. Well, not a problem. Uh, one of the, talking of, again about individual children and so forth, we know that impulsivity is a big part of ADHD, especially in the younger grades. Kids tend to say it before they think it. And Lori was wondering, how can you encourage your students particularly the ones with ADHD, to remember to raise their hands in class when they've got a thought or when they want to answer something. How do you build and maintain that habit? It's, you know, we've, we've all been taught raise your hand when you have something to say, but when you've got that thing to say, sometimes it's hard to remember to raise the hand. How do you help your kids? Uh, well, the, there's different ways of doing it. One is the positive reinforcement, the rewarding for remembering to do so, with it, whether they have like a little little thing on their desk, a little chart on their desk, and you're awarding points for remembering, that type of thing, uh, cue cards to remind them, visual cues to remind them. But also the opposite is what they call a response cost technique. That's where you might have, if they're, where they're, they're getting like a warning or a little tick mark or a little dot, they're docked for blurts, for blurting out. So they might start, for example, if you have a, a young student, like a kindergarten first grader, they might have on their desk um, or on their, at their table, whatever, three or four Velcro dots. And they know that they're going to, they, they want to keep their dots. They don't want to lose a dot. But what you're, trying to, you're training them that if they're blurting out when they're not supposed to be, you're going to remove one dot from, you're stripping off one of their little Velcro dots, or it could be post-it notes, or it could be Unifix cubes, or it could be something else. But if there's one left by the end of a time interval that they didn't do that behavior, like blurting, then yay, they were successful. They get their reward. They get their, they, they get their privilege. They get, they're rewarded in some way. The same thing, some classroom teachers have blurt charts where every student's name is on the chart. And there are four or five post-it notes next to each name. And anybody who's calling out, talking without permission, one is removed. Next time it happens, another one is removed. Next time it happens, another one is removed. But at the end of the time frame, if there's one left that wasn't removed, if they didn't lose all of them, then yay, that student was successful. And those kids get a little, a little mini reward, whatever it may be, or a little privilege. So it's kind of like visual cueing, like oops, oops, oops. So those kind of techniques can also work as long as they are tempered with lots of positive rewards as well. So you can use a response cost system, but I would certainly use a lot of cueing and, and, um, and, 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 and positive rewards for when they're remembering to follow the rules. But that is a tough one. It is a tough one. And uh, it's one, again, that, as you said, a lot of positive rewards, a lot of cueing. Well, we have a, a question. It's actually 
um, a multiple question. We've had several people ask, you had mentioned that there's a, approximately a 30% delay in maturity, in um, educational growth, and so forth with kids with ADHD. And we have a lot of participants who are wondering, will kids with ADHD catch up to their peers when we're talking a 30% delay? Will there always be this delay? Will they catch up? What does that look like? My understanding is that the, the executive function part of the brain, which is, develops, that's the last part of the brain to develop. That's like the prefrontal cortex and the, some of the surrounding regions and subcortical uh, regions of the brain. That's the slowest to mature. And it matures into the, the, the mid to late 20s, is my understanding. So there, it's a, as far as cl classroom teachers, you're going to see there are areas where they're, they're going to mature, but as far as catching up, there isn't going to be like a catching up during the K to 12 years um, that, that you might hope for. So yes, it'll mature. You'll see some of the behaviors improving, particularly if we're trying to build those skills as well as just the, the, the brain maturation of it. But as far as getting caught up, um, I, my understanding is that that doesn't happen. Thank you. And on that question, um, my co-moderator tonight would like to remind our audience that uh, he has posted the address for Teacher to Teacher, and he would also like to bring your attention to the Chat Educator's Manual. There is information in your chat box about this manual, and it answers some of the, question, some of the questions that we've had tonight, and it does address the uh, question about there being a delay in maturity based on ADHD. So if you'll check your chat, your chat box, there is information there. And our next question is coming from Aaron. And Aaron would like to know, how do the calm areas, how do having calm areas work, and can they interfere with uh, escape behaviors? You mentioned that earlier, going to Hawaii. How does that work for the classroom? Does that interfere with a child's escape behavior? If if it's used for um, a short period of time, it's, it's, a, it's just a calming place, and then they have to re-enter, and it's not punitive, it's not, it's not your timeout area or anything like that, it shouldn't interfere too much. If they're abusing the privilege of having a place to regroup and calm down by going there all the time, then yes, that can be an interference. But, um, and that should be an area that other students should access as well. But um, it doesn't necessarily have to be an area in the room. It could also be a, a little, you know, uh, a place to go to outside of the room. But typically in the room, those calming areas are, are meant to be short-term, short teacher-directed when they need it, or sometimes students student requesting to go there, signaling that they need to go there, but keeping it very, very short and minimal. But um, I guess it would depend on the location of it and and um, how frequently it's accessed. And if the student is using it as an escape to constantly go there, then you would have to change tactics. But um, again, well, it's, 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 I, I guess it's just a, re, a regroup area. Well, a lot of kids do need the time to regroup. A lot of adults need the time to regroup, and that's one of the things that we forget. We adults, when we're ready to regroup, we can go take a walk, we can go get a drink of water, we can yes. tell our boss, I'll, I'll see you in five minutes. And our students, 
they're they're in that classroom and they're not able to regroup as easily. Right, and that's why also out of the room may be helpful as well. I mean, it, even to just be able to have that opportunity with a timer, with something that's set. I mean, they can't just leave and be gone and, and escape for you know a, a long period of time. But you, you might want to send them with them, um, like a, a sand time, like a, some kind of a timer. You've got two minutes, or I'm turning the the timers, the sand timer is going now. Go on out when you come back. You know, make sure the sand hasn't run out or the timer hasn't gone off. So they get a little bit of a break. They get to come back in. So that's also a possibility to experiment with that as well. Wonderful. I think uh, a little egg timer, a little doodad that a student can carry would be very helpful. Well, we have a question from Tony, and he was wondering that he has heard that both ADHD and learning disabilities can cause executive function deficits. And he was wondering if the deficits generally look the same for both disorders or are there clear differences in where that executive function deficit is coming from, whether it's based in ADHD or whether it's based in a learning disability? Uh, that's a very good question. I'm not sure I know the answer to that. Um, certain, um, like some of the self-regulate, like the emotional overreactivity and some of those things, um, you know, it's, it, well, I guess, I guess I just don't know the answer to that one. That's a very good question. I think executive dysfunction, it does affect not just ADHD, not just learning disabilities, but you will see it in the autism spectrum. You'll see it in other brain-based disorders as well. And different kids have different symptoms and it impacts differently. Okay. Like with, some, with some disorders, for example, like in, with, with Asperger's or with some of the other uh, in the autism spectrum, the flexibility, the shifting is key. They have great difficulty with that. And others, the organization, the time management, those I think is much more prone to see in ADHD than with, with other kids. So, and then well, it's hard to differentiate because so many of the kids have both ADHD and LD. So. Right. And, and learning and, um, pardon me, executive function, this is something that is ongoing. And it, as you said, it can arise from both things. And it can look very different from student to student. So there's, there's more to it. And for our audience, you are welcome to take a look at some of our information on help4adhd.org that does talk a little bit about this. And again, I earlier mentioned our educator's manual, and that also speaks to some of that if you are interested. Our question now comes again from Sandra, and she was wondering if you had any suggestions on how to approach twice exceptional students. These are the students who are dealing with both ADHD and fall in the gifted and talented column. And especially um, one of the difficulties that a teacher or a parent may face is trying to work with an administrator or with a member of the education team, the special education team, to understand that this is a child who is both very, very talented and very bright, but also dealing with a disability such as ADHD. How can a parent or a teacher go about to get the ball rolling for the student? Well. That's that's a very good question. Um, being able to ensuring that they understand the disorder first, and the fact that you, the, your your kids who are, are gifted can can they can work at a very high level when their work is structured down for them, when they have the, that they that they um, are able to 
produce the work with so many extra supports and accommodations, but they are, but, oh, I don't really, I'm not really addressing this one well. Um, I, I guess it's just education. It's just all based upon the fact that they need to understand that so many of the kids, so many of our students with ADHD are gifted and talented, do have the academic capability with the supports and the accommodations. And um, there are websites, there are, there are resources about dual exceptionality. Twice exceptional is my favorite in just providing information about the challenges because kids who do have the dual exceptionality do have far more challenges because the expectations are so much higher for them. Uh, the demands are so much higher and we're dealing with um, you know, multiple issues that, that, that um, teachers do need to be sensitive to. So I, I guess it's all in just trying to provide them with information and, and hope that they'll do, give, be willing to provide the supports that are needed. That sounds like a good answer. This is an area that is difficult for a lot of teachers, a lot of parents. Again, ADHD doesn't impact a child's intelligence. It has no bearing on how smart a kid is, how well um, they understand. It has to do with, again, the executive functions, the things that you've mentioned earlier about organization and initiation and so forth. Our last question for this evening comes from Sarah. And her, she was wondering if you, had, if you knew of any research-based programs to recommend that help to develop concentration and attention, especially in the classroom. Do you have any additional resources or anything you'd like to add this evening that help with concentration and attention? Well, there, there is a, a brain-based training program that's um, online called COGMED, which is, has a good research base behind it of, of developing some of those executive skills, including concentration and attention, particularly concentration and attention. And I understand that it, you know, there are schools that are using it as an intervention. It is implemented in some schools. Certainly it's in, implemented in um, clinical settings as well as home settings. But you may want to look into that as um, something that the school may want to provide. Um, there are, for early childhood, there are different intervention programs. That, that work on teaching some of those concentration skills and, and self-control skills. Um, so if anybody wants to, because I, I see the webinar is about over right now. My, if anybody wants to contact me through my website, sandrareif.com, besides that I have a lot of information, my blogs and my articles, and I have lots of different charts and forms that I didn't provide in today's re, uh, PowerPoint, but that you can access from my website, please feel free to contact me as well. I'll be happy to take any other questions that I, I didn't get to or I didn't answer completely, and um, including this one. I'll, I, I'd be happy to dig up, um, uh, refresh my memory about some materials that are out there or programs that are out there to help in those respects. But um, thank you. Thank you for your question. Thank you for all of your questions. Well, we have enjoyed having you this evening. And just to, to follow up what you said, on the National Resource Center's uh, website, we also have a paper, one of our What We Know sheets, that does address neurofeedback programs such as COGMED, such as some of the other very similar programs. And you can find that on our website, again, at www.helpnumeral4adhd.org.
Ms. Reef, I go ahead, please. Oh, I'm sorry. There's also one. It, it's on that resource list that I gave you, but LearningWorks.com reviews all kinds of um, apps and and online programs and all kinds of things in different categories. If you go to that, I think it's called LearningWorks.com. Um, you'll find go under alternative learners ADHD and you'll find um, all kinds of resources there that you may want to look into. I'm just clicking quickly through. I think that was, I think that was the right title. Learning okay. works, I'm pretty sure. Well, I'm, I'm quickly, quickly clicking through and I also notice I've paused here on the page where we have your address for your Pinterest which you mentioned earlier. And I know, uh, again, we're going to have, you're going to have quite a few people tomorrow looking this up. So I, I'm pausing here for the moment. And uh, take one quick look through. May, yes, please, go ahead. In, in, as far as instructional strategies, if you want to see some incredibly good instructional strategies that are engaging of kids with ADHD, be sure to check out Nancy Fetzer's site. Uh, I, that's one of my favorites. It's, she demonstrates all kinds of strategies in action that are very, very engaging and and we didn't get to talk about some of the you know, any of the academic kinds of techniques and skills and instructional skill, skills, but that would be one I would take a look at afterwards. Could, as well. could you spell her name for us? Our co she's, she's our co moderator tonight, Adisa Griffin, is sending this out for our for our participants. Okay, that hers is Nancy Fetzer, N A N C Y F E T Z E R dot com, and so anything for teaching literacy, particularly for elementary st age students. She, if you just watch some of her videos that are on, on her website front page, you'll see some of the techniques which incorporate all those instructional strategies that are so engaging and very structured but very engaging. And you may want to take a look at that one. But the other, the other website lists that I gave there have so many good resources on there that it's just a matter of, you know, when you have the chance to explore them, I think you'll find some, some very good information. I think this has been a wonderful evening. I think you've given a lot of information and the resources for our educators who are participating with us this evening and with the parents who've also joined us. This has been a presentation of the National Resource Center on ADHD. We hope that you enjoy your evening. This now concludes our webinar. Thank you all again. Are you aware that the Department of Education issued new guidelines regarding 504 plans? What does this mean for your child? Learn more about your child's educational rights on the CHAD website, which is now www.helpforadhd.org. That's www.help and the number 4adhd.org.